Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. And we are studying in our church, our whole church, uh, the book of Jonah this month of February and all of our worship services and all of our uh, life groups. And so I encourage you to get in a life group. How many of you were in a life group today? You were in a life group? Would you raise your hand? Was it all right? Did they do okay? The teachers didn't like accidentally cuss or do something? You know, okay, good. Well, I tell you, I love our teachers. I'm thankful for them. They prepared well. One of the young men uh, teachers in our is teaching adult class, but he went to a he went at 8:30 to a to one of the older classes to kind of gain their wisdom so he could teach better at 9:40. I love that. And we did tr- teacher training on Wednesday night. I love that, and I appreciate all of you who are teaching. And if you're not in a life group yet, or if you haven't tried that, next week you can get in a life group. And we'll help you find one stop at the Welcome Center or Connection Point right out in the atrium. We'll help you find a class. I want to encourage you to get in a class. You'll get more out of it. You'll get more out of this study of the book of Jonah if you'll be in a life group and in a Sunday morning worship service. And for all the ages, it just matters and it's a big deal for us. And I look forward to what God's going to do. Well, open your Bible to Jonah chapter 1. Let me read this chapter of the Bible with you and then I'll tell you a story. So the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. And Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. And such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. And the captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailor said to each other. Let's cast lots and then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. And the men were seized by great fear of the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I want you to see some lessons from this great story. Some of you may remember this story in June of 2021. This 56-year-old 56, 56 man named Michael Packard 
was a, he was a lobster diver. He was a fisherman. He'd dive and get lobsters and collect lobsters off the murky coast of Cape Cod. And while he was doing that, just a year and a half ago or so, he felt suddenly it got really dark and he felt this great pressure and he realized he had been swallowed. He thought for a moment, but for a moment it might be a great white shark, but you know, he didn't feel any puncture wounds or anything. And so it turned out he had been swallowed by a humpback whale, you know, those huge mouths on the humpback whale. And they, the humpback whale was just eating the fish and stuff, and stuff that it normally eats and, and uh, didn't know the diver was there, I suppose. And it swallowed and so when he found, when Packard found himself in the, in the, uh, really the mouth, I guess, of this great beast, he began to thrash around because it was painful and, and he knew the danger and the fish uh, mammal didn't, didn't like it much and started shaking his head and opened his mouth and Packard swam out and went to the hospital and in sore and beaten up, but survived. True story. True story. And the story of Jonah. A true story. This man named Jonah ran from God and found himself in the stomach of a great fish, whatever kind of sea beast that would have been. True story. And I tell you, we ought not be surprised that God does miraculous things. Because, it, listen, if you have trouble with the miraculous story of Jonah, you'll have trouble uh, the Bible says some bigger things than that. The Bible tells us that God made the heavens and the earth, everything that you see, and as far as you can look into the sky and beyond, God made all of that at his spoken word. That God sent his son Jesus into this world to live the perfect life that none of us could live, to die the death we deserve, and that Jesus rose from the dead, and that we can have resurrection as well because of what Jesus has done for us. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, which we're going to come back to that series as I go through the book of Revelation after the series on Jonah. We're going to come right back to it in March. In the book of Revelation, you're going to see that Jesus is going to return back in the sky on a white horse for crying out loud. So if you have trouble believing the story of Jonah, I'm just telling you, there's some big things in the Bible. And there's a God who's a big God who's able to do great things, miraculous things. And the Bible tells us about this man, Jonah. So let's note some principles about him. I've got three lessons I'd like you to get. Write these down if you would and just follow along as we see this first chapter of the Bible, all that God's going to teach us beyond in the weeks ahead. Number one, God asks big things of us. Would you just note that? God asks big things of us. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and here it is in verse 2. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. So God asks some big things of us. God asks us to do some things that are really big. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, hey, listen, if you could just sort of live till you die, I'll be satisfied. God says, I want you to do great things. I made you for great things. I've given you gifts and opportunities and talents. and I, I place you in situations that I can use you for great things. God wants to do great things in you, and God wants to do great things through you. He asks big things of you, big things of you. The Bible tells us that Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Big things. The Lord asks us to think of others and not ourselves, to serve and not to be served. 
to live for something bigger than our own ambitions, to value things more than just what the world has to offer. God asks some big things of us. And he said to Jonah, I've got a big job for you. And let me note some things about the calling he had for Jonah. First, it was really straightforward. He said, I want you to get up. I want you to be active and not passive. By the way, very often in the Christian life, we think of it as just you know, sort of a passive thing that other people do and we just observe. God asks us to be active in faith, to be active. If I get up, and then he said, go to the great city of Nineveh. Go. He said, I want you to do something, not just to know something. The Christian life is not just about knowing things, though God wants us to know the truth. He wants us to do the truth, to live out the truth. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And then he said, I want you to preach against it. I want you to do this hard thing, preach a message that's not very popular, that the culture probably won't like much, that doesn't, that's not a real positive message. I want you to preach against it because, here's why, because uh, their evil has come up before me, and those are some bad people doing some bad things, and I want you to go to that bad place and tell them the truth. Man, it's straightforward. And God asks some straightforward things of us. I mean, just really clear. I'll just tell you, sometimes the problems I have with obeying God, it's not because I don't know God's will, it's because I do. So you might say, well, I wonder what God wants in my future. I wonder what God wants me to do in the future. Here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you some things God wants you to do in the present. I don't know what he's got. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to have you be a teacher in the future. I don't know. I do know he wants you to learn his truth right now. I know that. I don't know whether God's going to send you on a mission trip. Our church goes on lots of mission trips. Maybe God will send, I don't know if he wants you to go on a mission trip. I do know that he wants you to be on mission with him right now, to be a witness right now where you are, in your job or school or family, uh, in your community. God wants to use you. I mean, I don't know all that God wants to do with you or through you or for you, but I do know that God wants to use your abilities, your talents, your resources for his glory and not just for your own to serve and not just to be served, to think of others and not just yourself. God's will can be really straightforward. Sometimes we get bogged down in this because we sort of think, wonder what God's going to do in the future. I I don't know if you know this. My major in college was political science. Political science. I don't use poli-sci a whole lot in my day-to-day life now, though my degree is a little more philosophical, I suppose, than some political science degrees. But I, so I didn't know what God wanted for my future. I remember saying many times to God, God, I'd like to know what you want me to do in the future. You know, like a career. What should I, what should I think as a career? And, and really, God, I'm the, what God wanted for me was just to say yes, whatever. Just, just, just whatever. I'll just follow you, God. So he didn't make it clear, and I'm glad that he didn't. Um, but after my sophomore year in college... I had a very clear, direct call to vocational ministry to, to preach God's word, very clear call. And so I was already, by then, I only had a year and a half of college left. And I had already, you have to declare a major. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. So I did political science. I just, I, I figured this. I said, there's not enough lawyers in America, you know, let's get some more lawyers. We need more lawyers. And so why not? There's a terrible shortage of lawyers in America. Maybe I can help make up that difficult problem. Maybe be a lawyer. My older brother was going on to be an attorney and then a judge. And, um, or maybe I'd be a coach or something. I don't know. But God then made clear what he wanted me to do. You know what God cared about? 
Just me obeying him. Not, the specifics, the details, the what if, what about, was not nearly as important as saying, all right, God, if you say get up, if you say go, if you say preach, if you say sacrifice, if you say do, okay. So the call of God was straightforward. It was sacrificial. Uh, Nineveh is not a close place. Hundreds of miles from Palestine. Hundreds of miles. A long journey. A difficult task. And God said, I want you to leave the comforts of home, all that you have, all that you know, and I want you to travel all the way to this great city. And when he said great city, he's not saying great like, ooh, great, like big. I mean, it's an evil city. I want you to go there and sacrifice. Preach a hard message. Preach against it, against it. I want you to sacrifice. And I just, I just want to tell you, sometimes God's going to call you to sacrifice. If I've ever made you think God's will is just like, just, man, I want, your, I want you just to be as comfortable, never to have a difficulty at all. If I've ever made you think that, I want to apologize because God's word talks often about sacrifice, doing hard things. God's path is often uphill. It's often narrow. It's not, the, it's not the broad way. The broad path leads to destruction, the Bible says. The narrow road often, the more difficult journey, always worth it. But often, God calls us to sacrifice. And God said to Jonah, I want you to do a hard thing. Let's not ignore that this was a hard thing. He's not going to get on a plane and fly these 500 miles or so. He's going to journey night and day through hardship and difficulties to a place that he doesn't much like. It's a straightforward call. It's sacrificial. It's sort of scandalous. It's a, sort of a scandalous thing. Go to Nineveh in Assyria. If you know something of the history of the Bible, you know Assyria and Israel had many clashes and many battles. There are political and religious reasons. You may know that Assyria in large measure did not, wasn't following the Lord. And for that matter, sometimes Israel didn't do a very good job following God either. And they had many, many battles. And I'm sure when Jonah heard, you want, wait, you want me to go preach to Nineveh? You want me to tell the truth to Nineveh? You want me to proclaim your word to Nineveh. Nineveh is a terrible place. It's a terrible place. We've been at battle with them forever. Don't you remember my you know, great uncle Harry got uh, killed fighting against Assyrians? You know, Grandpa walks with a limp because he got in that one battle with the Assyrians. Don't you remember that, God? How could I go to a, to a people who has wronged me so often? I mean, how could I ever care about them and love them? Is, I mean, is that what you, you want me to go to the Assyrians, God? Because I don't like the Assyrians. In fact, if I have to just state it plainly, God, I, I think hate would be a good, a good choice of words for how I feel about the Assyrians. You remember the Hatfield and McCoys, that, that term even is used for a feud. In the, in the 1800s, they had a terrible feud be, between these two families. And they lived on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia. And they just had battles and battles and battles. Some people believe it started over a, a hog that some thought was stolen and some said wasn't. And, and then there was some uh, romantic intrigue involved and some land disputes involved and some moonshining involved. And so just they, jealousy and animosity. And they began to fight and to fight and to fight. And I think a day came when they just fought and they weren't even sure what they were fighting about. They just knew they were on the other side. 
And I'm on my side and they're on their side and I'm, I'm against them in every way. And that's sort of become the American way. I'm against them and I'm not gonna, I don't have to love people who are that bad or that wrong. A dozen people, more than a dozen people killed in the Hatfield and McCoy feud and people who went to prison for the rest of their lives and Israel and Assyria must have felt like that. I'm not, I don't want to help them and I don't want them to hear about God and I don't want them to know that there's a God who forgives. And maybe Jonah had sort of forgotten about the real nature of grace and how little Israel deserved it as well. So I want you to get this principle. God asks some big things of us. Principle number two, we either obey or disobey God's word. So when God asks something of us, we're either going to obey him or we're going to disobey him. So let's imagine for a moment, Jonah had obeyed God. Well, had he obeyed God, this would have been a shorter study. I mean, we would be, you know, finishing really quickly. It would not have been the whole month of February if Jonah had just said, okay, God, you want me to get up and go and preach? I'm, all right, and off he goes, and then the story's over pretty quickly. But that's not what happened. We sort of lose sight of how valuable it is for people to follow the Lord and obey the Lord and just do the right thing. There are people who probably taught, some of you have children or grandchildren uh, who were in a life group this hour or last hour, and maybe even forgot. There are some people who taught there who have taught for years and years and years and years, just been faithful behind the scenes, who have loved to teach little boys and girls about the things of God. It's not that. Like, that's not a dramatic testimony. I followed God for decades, you know, tried to have a regular devotional life in day by day by day for, for decades and decades. I tried to obey the Lord. I tried to follow what he said what he wanted me to do. And though I was an imperfect disciple, I tried to follow Jesus carefully. I was active in using my spiritual gifts and talents and resources for God's glory. And I was faithful in my church attendance. And I just believe that the things of God really mattered deeply. I mean, that doesn't sound so dramatic. We like the more dramatic, I ran from God and did the wrong things. And of course, we're going to get to that in the story. But I just want to say a word for obedience for the Lord and faithfulness long-term. There's a power to it. There's a blessing in it. And I want that testimony for you from this point forward. You can't change anything about your testimony to this point, but I want you to, I want the next years of your life, should the Lord give you remaining years and should the Lord tarry, I want them to be, I, I just tried to follow the Lord for the rest of my life. I wanted to obey him. But there's an, another option when we hear God's call and God's word. We either obey or we, we disobey. We can do it actively as Jonah did, or passively, just try to ignore God. Either way, it's disobedience. Jonah's disobedience was pretty active. It was pretty active. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went the opposite way. He went to this city, the seacoast city of Joppa, and got on a boat heading to Tarshish, somewhere out in the west. So Joppa is now the southern part, really, of Tel Aviv, called Jaffa now, but a city right on the Mediterranean Sea. And instead of going God's way, he just actively went the other way, as though he could run from God, as though God would not know and God wasn't going to really mess with him in Tarshish or something. He could just run from God. Can I just tell you, disobedience is common. It's common. If you decide to disobey God, you won't be the first one who has named the name of Jesus and yet said, God, I'm not going to follow you. I know what you say, but... I know what the Bible says, but... And neither actively 
or passively disobey God. You won't be the first if that's your choice. But I want you to know something about disobedience. It's costly. Now, it costs to follow Jesus. It costs. Sacrifice. Thinking of others. Serving the Lord instead of serving yourself. But I want you to know it costs something not to follow Jesus. It costs something. Obedience costs you something. You deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. But it will cost you something if you don't obey the Lord. It cost Jonah uh, the fare to go to, to pay a ship to take him to Tarshish, which he never made. And then it cost him dearly when he got thrown into the sea and then eventually swallowed by a whale or a fish. And it'll cost you too. So let me ask you this question. What is it God wants you to do to change to stop, to correct? What is it? I mean, I, I, you don't have to answer me. I'm just saying, what, what is it in your heart? What is it God wants you to do or to change or to stop or to correct? What is that? Because if God's saying, this is what I want you to do, stop, change, or correct, you, have, you come to this T in the road. I'm either going to obey God or I'm going to disobey God. And you say, man, I don't want to give up whatever it is. It's going to cost me. If I give up, I don't want to give up whatever it is. It'll cost me something to follow the Lord. It will, it will cost you even more to disobey him. And so I want to ask you to say yes to him. Henry Blackaby, an experience of God, called this a crisis of belief or a crisis of faith, where God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to obey me. And then we, it's sort of like we're driving down a road and we just are going one direction. And then you come to the T in the road and you can't keep going straight. You have to turn right or left, the only option you have. And God is saying to you when he calls you to obedience, all right, which, what's it going to be? Obedience or disobedience? Follow me or don't follow me? Pay the price of following Jesus or pay the more costly price of saying no to him. There's a third thing, and this is really the heart of the story. Principle number three, our choices lead to consequences. Would you write that down? Our choices lead to consequences. And it's the story of chapter 1, isn't it? Because the Bible tells us in verse 4, uh, Jonah has paid the fare. He gets uh, in, the, in the boat, and the sailors take off on the way to Tarshish. And then there's a great storm, and it's a bad storm. And eventually the sailors, have, they've been on the sea all their life, and they say this isn't a normal Mediterranean Sea um, storm this is great this is something supernatural they begin to the, the bible says they're afraid they even go to the great lengths of throwing overboard the cargo that's how they make the money you you need the cargo they say what do we care about money we're going to lose our lives and they just they're trying to keep from sinking and then they start praying to their gods their good luck charms and maybe someone can help and and then finally Nothing's helping, and the captain says in verse 5, goes down to the bottom of the ship, and there is Jonah asleep. Because I'll just tell you, it's hard work to run from God. That's hard work, and that guy's tired. And so he's down in the bottom of the boat, worn out from running from God. And then the captain wakes him up and said, do you not realize what's going on up here? Come on, you better come. And you, 
you better pray to your God. Maybe your God will help. And the men say, uh, this, is, this storm's so bad, it's so supernatural. They do a, a little casting of lots, a little, uh, we're, we're just, we're gonna f- try to find out who it is. And God uses that, even, even though they're obviously not followers of the Lord at this point, God uses that to help them to see it's Jonah. And they say, all right, so who are you? And the Bible says, Jonah said, um, well, I'm a Hebrew, in verse 9. I worship the Lord God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. So all the seas, God made that. And the dry land you so want to get to, God made that. And the guys are scared to death. And they said, what have you done? And he said, well, God told me to go to Nineveh, and I ran from God. And so they said, what, what do we need to do? He said, just throw me overboard. It's my fault. Throw me overboard. And they say, we're not that cold-blooded. We're not going to throw you overboard. And they try to make it back to shore, and they can't. And finally they say, we don't know what else to do. And they say, God, don't hold this against us. But they take Jonah, they grab him, and they just throw him overboard. And he hits the water, and the storm is calm. The Bible says here's sort of the consequences for the sailors. They go from fear of death, throwing over the cargo to fear of the Lord. Verse six, in verse 16, the Bible says, the men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So God took a crooked stick and hit a straight lick with it, so to speak. He, he just used these, all the difficult situations, all the wickedness of Jonah running from God and God just said, I'm gonna use this for my glory. And so they had a great fear of the Lord, probably never had they had fear of the Lord they offered a sacrifice and made vows, and they began to see a little of who God is. But there are consequences for Jonah as well, weren't there? And really two. One is judgment. When Jonah said, throw me overboard, Jonah at that point didn't know God had made an appointment with a great fish. He didn't know that. I think he thought, they'll throw me overboard, and I'll drown, and that'll be the end of it. Because I tried to run from God, and I was unsuccessful, and I discovered you can't outrun God. You can't, God knows what's going on, and I'm just going to face the judgment of God. And, you know, judgment's not that exciting of a thing to be thrown into the sea. They're going to throw me into the sea, and it's just going to be bad, and I'm, I'm going to get what I deserve, of course, because I did wrong. I disobeyed God, and God tells us that there are consequences to our actions. And so if I disobey God, God punishes sin. The wages of sin is death. I'm going to get death in the sea. I deserve that. So when I, months ago, I talked about how we were going to do this series on the book of Jonah, and a guy in our church uh, told me this. Told me this. He had been listening on the radio to a preacher named Greg Laurie. He's a Bible teacher on Christian radio, and, and he had, I guess, preached on this passage some maybe months or maybe years ago. And um, he said, he summarized it like this. Greg Laurie, the pastor, summarized it like this. He said, the chapter one's this. He said, God said, go, and Jonah said, no, and God said, oh? It's a good summary, isn't it? Oh? And we see the oh, and we say, yeah, judgment. Oh, you can you just run from me as though there's no consequences. You say no when I say go, and as though there's no, con- oh, and judgment. Over, overboard he goes. But can I tell you something? that 
the consequences in this story are, it's not just judgment. It's judgment and it's grace. It's grace. Because in the O, it's something more than just they threw him over. End of the story. But verse 17 says, the Lord appointed a great fish. We're going to see that word appointed in other chapters coming up. God appointed. He said to this great fish, whatever sea creature it was, all right, fish, I got a job for you. I want you to go to the Mediterranean Sea, to this particular place. I'm going to throw this guy, have this guy thrown off the boat, and you just you swallow him. That's, that's your job. And that's what that great fish did. And Jonah found himself, the Bible says, in the stomach of that fish for three days and three nights. And that's God's grace. Now, just let me tell you, it didn't feel like God's grace at the moment to Jonah. Right? It didn't feel like it. Because the, the beast is squeezing against him. It didn't feel like grace. It probably didn't smell like grace. I don't know a lot about fish, but I know they just they smell bad. I mean, I, if I, I like to fish sometimes, but often I'll just throw them back because I don't want to have to clean them and deal with the slime and the smell. And I'm, I'm not sure what it's like on the inside of a fish, but I can't imagine it smells good on the inside of a fish. For three days and for three nights, he's in the stomach of this fish, kept supernaturally alive by God himself, but it cannot have been pleasant, and it probably didn't feel much like grace. And maybe some of you are in some sort of metaphorical stomach of a fish right now. And God's using circumstances in your life to get your attention. And it doesn't feel much like grace. It doesn't feel much like grace. But God is going to use, God is really good at using difficult circumstances. He does some of his best work in, right in the stomach of a fish. And next week will be super, uh, it'll be a super Sunday next week because of chapter 2 of Jonah. I mean, I, I, I know there are other reasons, but especially because of chapter 2 of Jonah, as we see God working his grace right in the middle of the most difficult circumstances that man had ever faced in his life. And God said, the, the O, the O, God says, go. Jonah said, no. God said, oh, man, it's not just judgment. If all I got was judgment, I deserve it. But God's grace. Because Nineveh wasn't the only place that didn't deserve God's forgiveness. And the days of the Bible aren't the only age filled with people who don't deserve God's mercy and God's grace and God's love. And one of the reasons God brought you to this moment, this place, and this time is to remind you, even in the middle of difficult circumstances of his grace. Maybe it doesn't feel much like grace right now, but God gives a second chance for a reason. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Some of you are here as we, as we bow. Some of you need to be saved. You need to place your faith in Christ and find forgiveness of sin. And you could pray a prayer giving your life to Christ today. You could repent of your sin and place your trust in Christ. And right where you are, would you, would you be willing to give your life to Christ as the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and righteousness? You could pray a prayer like this, not just the words, but just the spirit behind it. God, I know I've sinned against you. Just acknowledge that to God. I've sinned against you. And you are holy, and I have sinned against you. And I don't deserve your love. 
But I believe you sent your son Jesus to live for me and to die on that cross for my sins and to rise from the grave for me. And so here and now, I turn from my sin, I repent, and I place my trust in you. I believe in you, and I ask you to save me. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. Christian, maybe when I said something about what is it that God wants you to do or to change or to correct, to stop, the Holy Spirit convicted you right at that moment. And there's a a thousand ways we can disobey God passively or actively. We can run from God in most dramatic ways or just ignore God, argue with God. But I wonder if you wouldn't say today, God, yes, yes to what I know of your will. Yes to what I know you want. Yes to you. If that means it's difficult or sacrificial or countercultural, I say yes to you. And Father, I want to thank you for this great, great story in the Bible. I want to thank you. You loved a man who would run from you, unworthy of your love. And you love a city that was evil, going the wrong direction. Somehow, you would have a compassion that we can't fully understand. Lord, help us to see how deep your love goes. How much you care about us. Help us to find the heart of our great God. Use this in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.